standing with me to read the scripture that we're going to be, Eric's going to be preaching from this morning. Um, That's Genesis chapter 40, starting with verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream and each with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Um, I'm going to pray for Eric. Jesus, we're so thankful for this morning that we get to come together and be in your house. Jesus, I pray for this message that you've given to Eric to deliver to us. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be with us in this service and that um, you'll move in our hearts and really inform us in how um, this sermon, how these words, how this, these things can change our lives, can, can uh, change us for the better, Jesus. I'm so thankful for the work that Eric has put into this and uh, his excitement to uh, bring your word to us uh, in, in ways that that's uh, relevant and pertinent to us. And uh, Jesus, I just pray that uh, his words, your words, uh, your scripture would pierce our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. so he can share that with the staff, uh, or just me, or whoever he wants to share it with. Uh, but uh, he'll be back with us next week, and as we continue in our series, The Life of Joseph, um, got a question for you. Do you does anyone know uh, this name? Does anyone know who Richard Jewell is? Richard Jewell. Does that name ring a bell? Richard Jewell, just to give you some background, uh, he was a guy that was kind of like a wannabe cop. Okay, he always wanted to be a cop, but he just was never good enough. He he kept failing; the doors kept getting closed in his face, uh, and so he was basically a, a glorified security guard. All right, they gave him a flashlight uh, and uh, maybe a, one of those little segue things. All right, and so <coughs> he was a little aggressive though as well. Uh, he was a security guard that took his job serious. Maybe he got laughed at a little bit because he took his job a little bit too serious. But why he's famous is, if you remember the 1996 Atlanta Olympics ga- Olympic Games, uh, there was actually a bomb that was put underneath a bench. And he was a, he was a security guard, and he was actually uh, really trying to keep people safe. And he was, uh, really, uh, he was on patrol, and uh, he noticed there was a, a suspicious bag. And so he informed the FBI. The FBI kind of laughed at him and said, you know what, this probably isn't going to be anything, but we'll look at it. But in fact, it was a huge bomb that actually uh, minutes later blew up. And without Richard telling people to get out of the way, uh, there was going to be hundreds of lives lost. Uh, people were going to have limbs blown off. Uh, there was going to be a lot of chaos happening without Richard figuring, figuring out uh, that there was a bomb underneath the bench. And uh, 
he instantly was famous. Instantly, um, he saved many people's lives. And the next day, Katie Couric on Today's Show, uh, they have him on. Uh, and he's getting interviewed. There's people um, approaching him about a book deal. They want him to do a book deal, become famous. He's getting all this publicity. Uh, but the problem is... He does the right thing, right? He does the right thing, and there's suspicion, though, from the FBI. The FBI thinks he might be a hero bomb maker, basically. So they think he's the guy that, he was the one that made the bomb and wants to be, uh, made out to be a hero. Uh, but the problem is there was no evidence for this. And so their suspicion grows, and they begin uh, to interrogate him for, like, weeks and months. And it turns out that he had no, nothing to do with it at all. But in the process of this, the papers are like basically saying he's guilty. Uh, the FBI uh, is showing they think he's guilty. And his name gets defamed. Uh, his life gets cr- is, is just over forever. Um, and so because he does the right thing, uh, he gets punished for that. And I think we see this in Joseph's life a little bit, actually a lot. We see in Joseph's life, he's doing the right thing in the wrong culture, and he's getting in trouble for it. He keeps getting pushed down. He keeps... Uh, being, um, he, he, God keeps putting him in places uh, that he does not want to be in. Joseph is living righteously, but he's losing everything for it. It costs him his family. It's costing him his freedom. It's costing him his career for a time. But we also know that God has a plan for Joseph. You know, living a godly life, even in America for us today, uh, there's a cost to that. There's a cost that, uh, for us to be able to live in a way that is opposite of the world, all right? We, we most likely are never going to endure what Jewel went through. Uh, but in today's culture, what are some things that you feel pressure in as a parent? Are there things you feel pressure in that you have to do certain things, have your kids be in a certain, edu- uh, a certain school, have them be part of a, a, a sports team, making sure that you have the, the, uh, the right house, you live in the right neighborhood. Maybe the, some people are shaking their head like, no, I don't need any of that. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's um, feeling like you have uh, to be able to have the right uh, uh, technology. Uh, everything, you know, everything's changed with your iPhone, so you have, to, you have to have everything improved. Or you have to acquire the, the nicest gadget. There are things that maybe we, maybe we feel pressure to do in the workforce. We feel like we have to talk a certain way. Hey, I want to be accepted by my workforce, so I need to talk like they talk or think how they think. But I think as disciple makers, as we grow in our faith, there are some things that we have to do uh, to, to live righteously, to live the right way, and we're going to get pushback from that. Because a lot of times the world, what they call evil, they'll call that good. And if we're doing good, they will call that evil. That's what, the, that's what Scripture tells us. So how do we live as disciple makers? How do we live uh, in this culture that we call America? I think some things that we can think through as it relates just to our kids and to our family. I think um, one, thing that, one, one stat that, that really is glaring is you hear the stat that um, a large percentage of kids will leave their faith when they're 18, 19, 20. Uh, and so one of the reasons why they leave their faith, they say, is because the things that they see their family doing, the things they see their parents doing, doesn't add up with Scripture, doesn't add up uh, with what a disciple looks like. So they see their parents go to church on Sunday, uh, but it doesn't equate. They, their parents look no different than, um, their parents look no different uh, at home uh, than when they're at church. And I think the other, on the other end, I actually have a lot of friends that are, de- that are de-churched. All right? I got some friends that are de-churched, and they have a drug problem. They had a drug problem back in the day. They were drugged to church 
every Sunday, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So there's two, there's two the different things that could be affecting our faith as, 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 as we are raised up. We could be forced to go to church too much and say, you know what, I don't want nothing to do with this at all. This is just fake. This is religion. I don't care about it. On the other end, we see how we're supposed to live in this culture, but it goes counterculture to what the gospel actually tells, how it tells us to live. And so I don't know where you're at in that spectrum. I don't know how it is that some of the forces that really push you to live a certain way. Um, I know that uh, one of the things that we really pray through is when it comes to our family, one of the things that we want to do is we want to start with what is important to our family, and it's our faith. So we basically, um, I would encourage all of us to, to really be able to put our faith first. So what that says is, what do our Sundays look like? What do our Mondays look like? How are we serving in the community? How are we serving in our church? How are we serving in city groups? How are we loving our city well? Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of times it goes opposite where with our culture, we're like, hey, we got to start with our kids. We got to start with what sports, what day do they play? What time do they play? What activities do they want to do? Uh, and instead of that, let's start with our church first. Let's have our kids see what we really believe, what is important to us. I think the other thing, too, is the hours that we work at night, all right? There's some things that uh, we do that uh, we, we want to be able to be successful. We want to be able to provide for our family. But I think that when we look at the work hours, um, are we spending enough time at home? Are we spending enough time uh, with our family? And, uh, you know, one of, one of the things I want to, I, um, <clears throat> I got to give a shout-out to my father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law was a pretty successful um, businessman. He, did, he sold life insurance. And uh, I remember um, Cherry was telling me, like, in the 80s, he bought some land. And with that land, he was going to build a, a, a lake house. Now, uh, Terry's mom had no interest in living in a lake house. Um, Tim uh, had no interest in living in a lake house. Uh, but um, uh, he decided to sell it. And the primary reason why he decided to sell it was he realized all the time that it was going to take for him to be able to, uh, you know, furnish the boat, furnish the house, furnish Everything that comes along with the lake house was going to cost him time with his family. And so he said no to that. He said, you know what? I'm going to live in the same house that we live in for 40 years. Uh, and, and I want to be able to invest in my family. And I think that paid dividends. His, his kids saw that. His kids loved him. His kids respected him. And they weren't out chasing um, things that were going uh, to bring him away from his family. Um, I think another thing, too, maybe some things that we need to say no to. And I'm talking to myself here. All right? Maybe we need to say no as, as fathers to... To a, uh, to, the, to a golf club or to a, a golf uh, course. You know, so I know they, they have like little leagues that happen on, on Thursday nights, Tuesday nights, Monday nights. Maybe we say no to that. Uh, I was invited to a bowling league, and I, I found out that the bowling league was going to be for like 10 months, uh, every Monday from like 6 to 8. That's too much time, all right? That's a lot of time bowling every Monday. Uh, one of the things that Terry and I probably fought about the most when we were uh, first church planted the first year was softball. Softball was a really big deal uh, in our family's life. Uh, because I chose to play softball. My wife didn't realize that people were getting saved, baptized on the softball fields, uh, and it, how important it was uh, for us to be able to play softball. I have said no to softball now, okay? And so those are some things I have to say no to. Um, but I think that these are the things that we're talking about in this culture, that when we say no to these things and when we say yes uh, to, to our faith, I think these are things that our, our friends are going to see. These are values that our coworkers are going to see. These are... These are things our neighbors are going to see. And they say, man, why do you live like that? Why are you choosing to do those things? Why is your faith so important? And I think that's what our kids need to see. That's what our community needs to see. That's what people in our, in our lives need to see. And so doing the right thing in a wrong culture is going to cost us something. 
All right, it's going to cost us something. And this is a similar situation that Joseph is in. He continues again to do the right thing, and the culture is pushing him down, and he's suffering. But here's a cool thing. Jason actually mentioned this last week. He highlighted this, that, that Joseph was going to be used for God's glory. God had a plan. Even though he was pushed down, God had a plan. And he did not use, if you look on paper, Joseph's family was not the, was not the family you'd pick on your team. All right? This is not the team. This is not the family you would pick. They were highly dysfunctional. First of all, J- uh, Jacob, his father, favored Joseph the most. And he showed his brothers, I love your I love your your younger brother, way more than you guys. He showed favoritism. His brothers hated him for that, and so they devised a plan to kill him. So rather than kill him, they actually sold him into slavery to the Egyptians. And they made up a story to say, hey, a wild beast uh, killed your favorite son. Sorry, Dad. you got to live with that. And they had no, no problems with lying to their father. In chapter 39, we're going to go back to that. Joseph is sold as a slave uh, and in Potiphar's household. And everything Joseph did was blessed. And it seemed like he was going to be, you know, in a good spot for a while. Well, then Potiphar's wife, um, she accuses him of trying uh, to rape her. And he, um, he gets thrown in prison. All right? It was all her. She was making advances. He kept saying, no, you're too old. No, I'm not interested. No, uh, I love God. No, I respect your husband. And he is found to be in prison again for doing the right thing in the wrong culture. It doesn't seem fair. He's making the right choices. He goes from being the favorite son to, ha- to having the birthright to being betrayed by his brothers. Uh, he's, he's overseer of, of, Potiphar's, of Potiphar's household, and now he's in prison. Joseph had everything going for him, and once he's in Egypt, he goes from being favored to being framed to being favored again and then being forgotten. So that's what we're looking at today. So there's three things that we're going to see. We're going to see that he was favored, that he was framed, he was favored, and then he was forgotten. So let's look at our first point. Joseph is framed. It's uh, found in Genesis 39, 6, which says this. <clears throat> now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put, he has put everything that he has in my charge. But she talked to him day after day, and he wouldn't listen to her. So she, she kept saying, lie beside her to be with her. But she talked to him every day and tempted him, and he still said no to her. So Joseph, again, is, he's, doing the right, he's doing the right thing, and he's being framed by Potiphar's wife. At this point in the story, I'd be having some, some strong conversations with God. I'd say, God, you have a plan here, but your plan is not working out at all. Your plan is not working out. Everything that you said was going to happen is not happening. And why are you doing this to me? You've promised me to have a good life, and now look at where I'm at. Look at where you've brought me to. Look at the pit that I'm in. Look at, this, look at the slave that I've become. This is unfair. This is not right. And I want you to make this right. That's what I would be saying. And Joseph's family, if you look at his bloodline, his family would have no problem sleeping with Potiphar's wife. All right? If we see in verse 38, or Genesis 38, Joseph's older brother Judah, he basically... Um, he basically impregnates his own daughter-in-law, all right? And then she find, he finds out that she's pregnant, and she says, he says, kill her, stone her. But then he goes on Maury Povich show, and it says, hey, you are actually the baby's daddy. And so then he reverts back and says, oh, no, uh, I thought she was a prostitute, thinking that that was even better, all right? That's even worse, all right? So he tries to justify his actions for sleeping with his own daughter-in-law. This is the family that Joseph is coming from. So if we look back on verse 11... 
um, Potiphar's wife, she had her opportunity finally to to seduce Joseph when no one else was in the house. She grabs him. He runs away. He bounces out. His garment gets left in her her hands, and that's where he's accused. That is where, uh, that's why he was thrown in prison. But when he's in prison, all right, He's, everything, everything's going his way. He's shown steadfast love from God. He's shown favor. Um, the keeper looks at him and says, you know what? I know you're a slave. I know you're, in, you're a prisoner. But I'm going to put you in charge of everything uh, because w- what you touch, when you touch things, it turns to gold. And so Joseph is favored, all right? We know that he gets framed, but now we're seeing that he's favored again by God. And the reason why we know that Joseph is favored is because he, as he— in this culture with, with Egyptians, the Hebrew people, they are the lowest of class, okay? You've got, like, Egyptians, I don't know, something else, something else, something else, and then you've got the Hebrews. And what would be worse than, than a Hebrew would be a Hebrew slave, all right? So the fact that Joseph is a Hebrew slave, he's highly favored because he's, he's been put in these positions, and everything he does, God is there, and he's blessing him. So as he's, as he's finding success... Um, as he's seen God do a work in him, um, he's able to continue uh, to, to see God's hand at work in his life. And other people see, his, see God's hand as well. It does seem like Joseph does get the, the short end of the stick, though, as he's going to jail again. Uh, but when, he's, when he was a slave, God does show him favor because instead of him being killed, he, be, he became a slave. All right, so he easily could have been killed, but God's favor is to say, hey, you know what? I don't want you to be killed. I'm going to put you in as a slave. When he said about Potiphar's wife, the Potiphar could have easily killed him. But I don't think Potiphar really believed that, that, that uh, he had slept with her. But he has to do something to show his wife that. And so he's just put into, uh, into jail instead of being killed. And now that he's in jail, I know he's a prisoner. I know he's a slave. But he's actually highly favored. He's actually running the jail himself. That is the favor that God is showing to him. So God is putting Joseph in these impossible situations for a reason. He's putting, these, he's putting Joseph in these, in, these re, in, in, in these situations so that everyone knows that it's only God that can get him out of this. It's only God that can give him favor. It's only God that his ultimate purpose is going to be made out through Joseph. And God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is able to really, to really show his power. And he, he chooses who he chooses. He chooses who he wants to. All right, this is an unlikely character that none of us would choose. But many of us have experienced hardships. Many of us have experienced things that Joseph has, has experienced. Maybe not just like Joseph, but there's things that we walk through that are impossible. That we're like, God, this is impossible. I, I can't walk through this by myself. Uh, I actually had a mentor a few years ago. Uh, he was walking to his car. And this was in the wintertime. And uh, he slipped on some ice. He fell. He hit his head. And uh, he had a concussion, and he needed stitches. So he goes to the hospital. He gets his stitches done. And they say, you know what, we want to run a CAT scan on you as well. So in that CAT scan, what they find is a little tumor in his brain. Because he fell, I know it sounds bad. Because he had a concussion, I know that sounds bad. I know, I know he, got a, he had has stitches, that sounds bad. But because he went to the hospital, because he went to get his CAT scan, they found a tumor, a very small tumor in his brain. And this thing could have grown for the next six months, a year, and he wouldn't know about it. And so what God used that, that was bad, it actually turned out for his advantage. And he was able to get surgery done a couple days later, and he was healed. And I've worked with people in the past that have gotten out of jail. I've known people that have been put in jail innocently. They were put in jail for something that they didn't, they didn't do. Uh, they were falsely accused of it. 
But they also said that, man, God used that. In jail, I became a Christian. In jail, uh, I really began to love Jesus more. In jail, I became a disciple. And they really believed that if they wouldn't have went to jail, they would have ended up in jail anyways, or they would have died uh, on the streets. And so God does use our pain. He does use our, uh, our bad situations for his good. Those are ways he does that. So the butler and the baker right now, uh, they're thrown in jail, all right? That's what, that, that's what we read this morning. They're thrown in jail for angering Pharaoh. We don't know what exactly they did, but one of them really ticked off Pharaoh, and they're trying to figure out who it was and what they did and why. And so as they're in jail, Joseph is put in charge of them. Joseph's put in charge of them, and he's there to attend them. He's there to serve them. He's there to love them. He's there, even though he's over authority of them, he's like, hey, I'm going to take care of you, all right? I'm going to take care of you. I want to know how you're doing. He's, gonna, he's going to, to, to walk with them, and he builds a relationship with them. And so the next day, both these guys wake up, and he could tell something's off, all right? You know that Joseph has had dreams. He's been there, done that. He can tell uh, that they're sad. There's something wrong. And they have to have dreams that need to be interpreted, And so they basically say, hey, here's what happened. I had a dream. It seemed really real, and I have no idea why this is happening. I need some help. Have you guys ever had, like, like livid dreams where maybe you're, like, you're falling out of, of in the sky from a helicopter or you fall off a cliff and you feel like you're falling? Like, I, I seriously still have that. That's my, my recurring dream. I'm, like, kicking my legs, flailing. I think I'm going to die. Um, this was a real dream that they had. It felt like it was really happening. Um, The first month that Terry and I were married, uh, I had a similar dream like this. It, it felt so real. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm still dreaming. She's next to me. I wake her up, but I'm still dreaming, and I can still kind of feel like I'm there in, in the room. And I start yelling, Mom! Mom! I get up. I go to the window. I'm looking out the window. I'm like, Mom! Mom! And I can hear Terry saying, Eric, Eric, wake up, wake up. What's wrong? And I just keep saying, Mom! Mom! What happened, I had slept for about an hour and a half on my arm, my left arm, and I thought that my arm was gone. I thought I, I, thought I lost it because I slept on it, right? And so I'm yelling, I'm yelling for my mommy right now. And so <laughs> Terry's kind of questioning, did I marry this guy? I mean, today I hope I'm going to say Terry now, not mommy. But, um, but it was real. This, this dream was real. I felt like my arm was gone. And these, these, the baker and the butler, they had these dreams, and they really think, It's going to happen, and, and they're worried. They're like, man, what does this dream mean? And so Joseph does have experience interpreting dreams, and he says, hey, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream so I may interpret it. Now, we do know that God uses dreams uh, to, to really uh, share things with us that, that are unknown. And I, I want to I highlight this. I think that throughout Scripture, dreams occur more times to unbelievers, all right? And so, like, Even now, God does speak through dreams, but we also uh, really use Scripture as well to really back up uh, what God is telling us to do. But I do know that there's numerous stories where there's Muslim, in Muslim countries where non-believers are having dreams of Jesus show up uh, in, their, in their house, in their room. It's so vivid. And th these, are, these are also non-believers that are persecuting Christians are having dreams uh, where they see Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, hey, um, I'm Jesus, and you need to follow me. And so one of the examples I have here is one of my friends was a, is a missionary still in Yemen. And uh, he, he went to the airport, or he got dropped, like flew in. He's walking out of the airport to a taxi. And the first thing the taxi says, he's like, hey, I'm Muhammad. And he says, are you a Christian? And so for this guy, the worst thing you can say is, yes, I'm a Christian. Because this guy might be a cop. He doesn't know what's happening. But he has peace. He says, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, are you going to turn me in now kind of thing. He says, hey, I got to tell you something. I had this dream. And Jesus appears in it, and he says to follow him. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. 
And so my friend basically leads him to Christ. He says, hey, here's who Jesus is. He walks him through faith. Now the reality, though, with, this, with, him, with Muhammad saying yes to Jesus all right, in the wrong culture is he has a chance, like he's probably going to lose his family, he's going to lose his business, his career, his friends, his community, everything that he knows he's going to lose. Because we had actually another friend that uh, he's from India. His dad accepted Christ. And when he came home to tell his dad the good news, his dad literally told, him, told his wife to get him the sword. He was going to kill him. And his mom had to save him. And, and basically he, he was, the whole family's Christian now. But that's kind of how God works in these dreams. God, God will reveal himself in a real way. And it, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of how God uses uh, dreams. But going back to this dream, we, we, we realize here uh, that, that, that there's, this, there's, there's this conflict uh, between these two. Uh, the, so the chief cupbearer tells Joseph his dreams. And he says this in, in verse 49. In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hands, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. What the heck does that mean? All right. How, how are you going to interpret that? So as Joseph interprets the dream, uh, he knows exactly uh, what that means. But he also says this, hey, um, you're basically going to be restored. Everything's going to be all good. God's got you. Um, but hey, don't remember me. Do, do not forget me, okay? We were friends. I took care of you. Um, I had authority over you, but I treated you well. Please, please, please tell Pharaoh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a Hebrew slave. I was here, uh, put here uh, innocently, uh, and so please help me out. And so as he interprets the dream, um, he's going to be forgotten again, as we see later on. Joseph is going to be forgotten again. What a gut punch to that, to, to, just, to his self, just to his belief in God, his faith. That is a huge gut punch that he gets forgotten again for two years. So we see in Genesis 40, 12 through 5, it says, Then Joseph said to him, this is, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hands as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do, do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. So get me out of this place. Get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. So again, Joseph is pleading, do not forget me. Do not forget me. Now we have to go to the baker. <clears throat> the baker, he's kind of feeling good. He's like, man, he got a good report. My report has to be just as good, all right? And so remember this. Joseph cares for both of these guys. He's an authority over these guys, but he cares for these guys. And so when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, hey, my turn. Here we go. I also had a dream. And there were, these three, there, was, there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head, and Joseph answered and said, this is his, this is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, cut, cut his head off, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Dang, that is, that is not a dream that you want to hear. So which message do you think is easier for Joseph to say? Which message is easier to convey? This is a very hard message for, for Joseph to convey. <clears throat> and so... As we wrap up in verse 20 through 23, here's what happens. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer 
did not remember Joseph and forgot him. Man, Joseph is forgotten again. He's put into a position where God has to show up and help him out, and he feels like he's going to get helped out. God, I know you got me on this, and he gets forgotten again. Have you guys been there? Has, has there been a time where you feel forgotten, where you're like, hey, uh, here I am. I know, I, I know, you, I know you're there, but you, I don't feel like you see me. Are there times where you feel like you're unheard or that you were ignored? Are there times and there seasons in our life that we feel, man, like I'm so disconnected from you, God. Uh, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're really going to help me out. This season is harder than I realized. This season is harder, and I, can't, I don't seem to be able to move forward. Man, you may be a stay-at-home mom, and you may be feeling these things. Or you may be a, a grandma, and you may feel these things. You may... You may be a new father. You may be a young father. You may be an older father. There, there's things that we go through in our life that we feel like, man, is God real? We question, is God real? Is he really going to help me out? Is he really here for my good? There's a weight that we feel. There's a weight. There's a reality that we feel in that. And I know that Joseph felt that. And I think that the, the good news, though, is that G Joseph is going to point us to the reason He's going to point us to the reason he went through all those things. He's going to point us to why God did what he did. And maybe, if, maybe at times you feel like Richard Jewell. You know, you do the right thing and, and, and you get cast as a villain. You do the right thing and, and you feel like, uh, and people uh, accuse you of being a murderer. You do the right things and it doesn't go well for you. Richard Jewell actually died at 44 years old. And one of the things he said was, he'd still, if he had to go through all that again, all the lies, uh, all, the, all the hate, he'd still do the same thing again to make sure uh, more people uh, uh, were saved. He would still do the same thing knowing what happened to him. He would still make that same decision. And so when we live a godly life, that means that, again, the world is going to tell us what good is, they're going to say that's evil. And the world will tell us what evil is is actually good. And what are we willing to live for? What are we willing to stand for? What are we willing to lose our influence, our reputation, or our friendships. When we follow Jesus, we obviously gain new perspective, new hope, new love, but we also, we also gain eternity. We also earn the, the life that God has wanted us to give, the, the life that God wants for us. Joseph points us to Jesus, and here, here's how he does it. We've we got to remember this. Joseph's fellow, Joseph's, Joseph's fellow sufferers were like the two thieves. So the baker and the butler were like the two thieves that were crucified with Christ. One of them was saved, and one of them was condemned. Joseph said, remember me. Hey, remember me. I, I helped you out, so please remember me. Jesus says, we're going to do communion later on. This do in remembrance of me. That's how Joseph points us to Jesus. Uh, we justly blame the chief butler's ingratitude to Joseph, but we conduct ourselves in a similar way to Jesus. All right, We, we, we definitely forget Jesus at times. We are the butler at times. We, we live our lives apart from God, and we act like we do not remember him at times. Joseph's news was only good news for the innocent man. The news was bad news for the guilty man. The man that was guilty, he was the one that this was bad news for. And so when we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus knowing that we're guilty. And we're saying, Lord, this is the tension that we face. I need you. I need your help, and I believe that you've done what you've said you've come to do. And so our faith in the gospel is what solidifies us. Our faith in the good news of what Jesus Christ has done is what brings us new life. It's what energizes us. It's why we're here. It's why we worship. It's the good news of the gospel. 
And so as we pray, I want us just to reflect on our lives. I want us to reflect on, hey, what are some of the good things that have happened in our lives? What are some of the bad things that have happened? How have we responded to that? I want us to reflect on where are we at right now? Where's our life at right now? Are there things that we're, that we're struggling with that we're saying, God, I, I don't see you in this place. I, I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I feel unseen. Or, or are there things that we, that we really need to process through to say, God, where are you taking me to? What do you want me to do next? How do you want me to live for you? How do you want me to glorify you? How do you want to shape me into becoming a disciple of you? And so as we, as we, just, as we, as we just bow our eyes right now, I just, just want us to realize that, the, man, the life, uh, and the, res, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what brings us hope. Uh, it's okay to feel the way you feel today. It's okay to feel um, maybe unheard, maybe unseen at times. It's okay to feel those ways. But I think the good news, though, is that God is going to use that for your benefit and for his glory. And we want to trust that. We want to hold on to that, whether it's in this life to come or, or the next one to come. We want to hold on to that truth. We want to love that truth, and we want to trust God more. And so as we, as we transition into the time of communion, uh, I would invite the uh, communion, um, people giving communion to come up. And, um, and I really want us, again, uh, just even take this time to even thank God. Thank God for what he's done for how he has saved us, for how he's redeemed us. Uh, thank God for the, the story that, that we have in our lives, uh, whether we were drugged to church every day uh, as, a, as a kid uh, or, or, or we saw uh, our family living out their faith uh, in the right way. Or, or maybe, maybe there's some things in our life that we see, man, like I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like my dad. Uh, may we come to God and just say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be like you, Jesus. And may you interpret that. May you bring to us your truth, your love, your guidance. May we continue uh, to walk in love, and may we continue to walk in grace, and may we continue to trust that you, that you have a plan for us, that you have a plan for our pain. You have a plan uh, for our hurt. You have a plan uh, for when things haven't gone the way that we think they should go. And so we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. And so we just enter this time of worship, and we just say, we just ask, Lord, that, and that you would reach us, that you would touch us right now, that you would um, speak to us uh, through your spirit and through your word. So just let me pray. Amen.